0: There's something that I wanted to, to share with, with all of you, some, some news I think some of you might be aware, but, but just uh, to start the conversation, uh, is that President Barack Obama yesterday nominated Maria Echaveste uh, to be the U.S. ambassador to Mexico. Uh, and that is excellent news for all of us. Maria Chaveste was actually born in Cameron County uh, in Texas to Mexican parents, and she served, but they moved to California. Um, she worked for the Clinton administration, uh, a lawyer, uh, went to school in Stanford and Berkeley. We won't hold that against <laughs> her on that. Um, but she is an excellent person for us to have a Mexican Ambassador, I, I think she is the first woman ambassador to Mexico, correct? Right, correct. correct. Yep. So, so we're we really happy and excited. Uh, Dr Chaveste, uh, a Texas native, will be going to uh, to Mexico City um, I want to be sure that 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 everybody gets time to go over their the, the different subjects like I said we have forty five minutes. Uh, we have an excellent panel. Um, you guys have their bios i 'm not going to go over them, uh, but I do want to briefly uh, in, introduce them. Um, Javier Treviño Cantú is a member of the Mexican Congress, uh, a deputy from the state of Nuevo León. Welcome to Texas, uh, Congressman Congressman Treviño. Uh, Senator Juan Hinojosa, uh, I think well-known to all of us, uh, state senator from District 20, which I believe it goes all the way from Corpus down to McAllen. Correct. Uh, Welcome, Senator Hinojosa. Senator Hinojosa is also the chairman of the Mexico Subcommittee on the Energy Resource Panel, Correct. so thank you. Uh, another member of the panel, very well known to all of us here in Texas, I'm uh, also uh, very proud that he was chosen to be uh, our representative in, in Mexico City uh, for a number of years, and that is Ambassador uh, Tony Garza. Ambassador, welcome. Um, thank you for being here with, 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 with us. Um, I have with me uh, also uh, Malachi Boyuls. Malachi. Malachi Boyuls, no, sorry right. about that. Um, who is a candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission.
1: Former candidate, yeah. Former candidate. Yeah, yeah. yep. That's right. Okay. Uh,
0: but uh, <laughs> We'll get it right. <laughs> we'll get it right. But uh, welcome to the Thank panel. You. Uh, Luis Farias uh, happens to be uh, a friend of mine, Vice President with Semex. I lived in Mexico City for five years, and Semex was a customer of ours, uh, so Luis and I have known uh, ourselves for a number of years. Glad to see you again, Luis. Welcome. Um, and, and David Alamil, who is a candidate for, for the Senate. Uh, yes. Welcome. Thank uh, you. Looking Thank forward to having That's you hear, hear you in, in our panel. Uh, what I would like to do is I'm going to ask each one of the panelists <clears throat> to give us a couple of minutes on how they personally see uh, Mexico's energy reform impacting Texas. Uh, and then I'm going to ask them an area uh, that I would like for them to, to share with us um, and, and make some comments. Um, we'll go through all of them, and then at the end, what I would like to do is leave time for them to have a conversation among themselves. Uh, they will have the opportunity to have heard each other, uh, and maybe they can add some comments and have a, uh, a nice sobremesa uh, on, on what they have to say, and then we'll open uh, for questions from uh, from from the panel. Um, uh, Congressman Trevino, uh, I, I want to hear from you, where do you see Mexican reform? Where do you see the growth uh, in Mexico and in Texas? Uh, but I also wanted to ask you uh, a political question, and that is that uh, Mexico's energy reform, got passed by, particularly the, the, the constitutional amendments, uh, got passed by about 353 votes on, on both houses, and it got approved by, I think it was most of the state legisl- legislatures. Uh, what is the sense within the Mexican people, the guy in the street, as far as energy reform is going? Uh, and what are the, their expectations of where Mexico, what, what does energy reform mean for Mexico? Yeah. So if you can share with us sure. three or four or five minutes. Thank sure.
2: you. No, thank you, Jorge, for the invitation. i glad to be here. And Senator, Ambassador, great to be uh, with you on this panel. Uh, first of all, I mean, it would be a good idea just to understand basically what the Mexican energy reform is all about. Because we have read about that. And so there are six important points I just want to make. Uh, It was a historical, no doubt, a historical transformational reform. We have been debating energy reform in Mexico for the last 20 years, uh, I think. And finally, it was an idea whose time has come. And uh, last December, we passed a constitutional amendment, uh, very important uh, in the House. I mean, for for having a constitutional amendment in Mexican Congress, you have to have two-thirds of the vote in the House, two-thirds of the vote in the Senate, and the majority of the state congresses of legislatures. So it was approved and after that constitutional reform we were able to pass secondary laws that is implementing legislation for that constitutional reform. What we did with this uh, uh, secondary legislation and with all the constitutional reform, six things. One, we transform the state oil company and the state electricity company, Pemex and the Federal Electricity Commission From being a decentralized uh, bureaucratic offices into now a real uh, state enterprises, productive state enterprises. That's a very important transformation. We'll have to manage in the implementation to do a lot of uh, main changes in terms of transforming into real operators in the energy uh, sector. Number two, what we did was to open up the energy sector for private investment, both national and international. Uh, with a very clear legal framework of a different set of uh, legal rules of contracts, uh, production sharing, profit sharing, licenses (coughs) and uh, services contracts. So now it is very clear for uh, domestic and international investors to come in Mexico and to participate in two important markets, uh, the uh, energy, I mean, the hydrocarbons market and also the electricity market. That's very important. That's unheard of. I mean, in the last... uh, 70 years or in the last uh, 50 years, and it was a very important transformation. That is the second important point. Third important point, what we did was to strengthen the regulatory capability of the Mexican state. So we allocated, we gave new responsibilities to the National Hydrocarbons Commission, to the Energy Regulatory Commission, and to the Ministry of Energy uh, to have new responsibilities to regulate these two new markets which is uh, very important, and for the participation of uh, private companies. And there's a whole process for uh, bidding processes and also for uh, designing uh, winners and, and, and signing contracts and so supervising this. So the regulatory capability of the Mexican government was strengthened. That is the third point. Fourth point, which is very important in terms of the secondary legislation, has to do that the benefits of energy reform yeah, it should be for this generation of Mexicans, but also for future generations of Mexicans. So we designed a fund, the Mexican Petroleum Fund, which is managed by the Central Bank, which really will manage all the resources coming uh, from these new markets, I mean, coming from the private sector and public sector, uh, oil revenues, uh, in such a way that are wisely spent in terms of infrastructure projects and are not going to be wasted into, I mean, uh, just, uh, into just government spending. Uh, fifth point, which is very important, has to do with the environment. So we created a new uh, national industrial security or industrial safety and, uh, and uh, high in, in, in energy, I mean, uh, in the area of energy, environmental protection uh, agency. So this new agency is going to be really, I mean, has a very important capabilities of overseeing, protecting, and preventing uh, well different uh, aspects uh, which might affect uh, the, the environment in, in Mexico. That's a very important element. All these series of rules having to do with, with the protection of the environment. And the sixth point, the sixth element has to do all along the, the energy reform with the area of uh, transparency, accountability and corruption preventing practices which is going to be very important in all the energy reform. So going back to your initial question, people are excited about this? Yeah. Uh, this is a very important uh, energy. We, we had a very uh, dramatic debate during several months for having a, i mean this constitutional amendment, and so there were basically two visions in Mexico. there was one vision uh, coming from the left, from the parties uh, from the left they didn 't like this constitutional reform. they wanted to have Mexico become the hallmark of oil isolationism, I would say. They, they want to open up I mean, to the world. And then there was the other vision of the different parties who really had uh, the majority in Congress. When we saw that Mexico had to play a role, that we understood that it was an energy uh, technological revolution in North America, based in North America, that we were a very important player, that we understood that the geopolitical framework in the world was changing and that the oil supply is is, uh, migrating from the Middle East to North America and uh, (coughs) that energy consumption is migrating from North America to the Pacific and that Mexico had a very important set of resources and that we had to modernize our framework in such a way that we were going to be an important player in North America really to (coughs) transform, but also that our vision was not only about oil itself. What is important in the energy uh, transformation in Mexico has to do on how... We're going to transform the manufacturing capacity, the industrial competitiveness of Mexico uh, for the future uh, years. I I had the opportunity to work in the Mexican embassy many years ago when we were negotiating NAFTA. And I still remember the skepticism in some areas of the U.S. and Mexico about the negotiation of NAFTA at that time back in 1990 to 1994. And now we see the benefits not only from for Texas but for Mexico and the other states about what NAFTA brought. Well, now we are in this uh, uh, game-changing moment in, in 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 North America, and the energy uh, reform and this energy revolution in Mexico is also going to play a very important role in really uh, uh, having um, uh, our region, I mean, to thrive and uh, in such a way that uh, we're going to have new possibilities in the energy sector, but also in the industrial competitiveness
0: sector. In fact, it's been called sometimes that this is the energy NAFTA. Yeah, exactly. If, 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 you, look, if you look at it. Uh, thank you, Congressman. We'll come back and, and, and have a further conversation with you on some of the topics and issues that, 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 you, that you touched based on. Um, uh, Senator Hinojosa, Mexico is the sixth largest holder of shale gas resources in the world. Uh, Mexico is also the eighth largest holder of shale liquid reserves in the world. Uh, Texas has a lot of learning uh, in shale uh, that we can certainly share with with Mexico. Uh, As a member of of our legislature uh, representing South Texas and and the Valley, uh, first of all, I want you to share with us your view of Mexican reform, energy reform, and how can Texas uh, benefit uh, from that reform? Uh, thank you
3: very much uh, and, uh, uh, for being invited to this panel, and uh, I will give you some of my uh, opinions as to uh, what I know and what I see and uh, who we pick up in terms of uh, Texas' role, uh, and this is a very important uh, reform in energy uh, that is taking place in Mexico. Texas, of course, uh, shares a long border with Mexico Uh, from Brownsville to El Paso Uh, and Mexico is very important to our state's economy. Uh, We have trade and commerce uh, over a billion dollars a day with Mexico and it continues to increase. Uh, And the energy reforms that are taking place in Mexico is just one key part of the economic reforms uh, that they are implementing to make their economy more competitive uh, and to lower the price of electricity but at the same time, Mexico was experiencing a decrease in their oil production uh, of 20%, uh, plus the having to import uh, natural gas uh, and having to import oil. Uh, so all of these uh, factors uh, played in, uh, in terms of timing, uh, that the timing was right. What's really amazing to me is that really it was the uh, pre-party uh, who pushed those changes instead of uh, the uh, pan party, pan. But for us, uh, <clears throat> we also see a lot of challenges. Uh, we learn a lot from the uh, Barnett Shale Basin, uh, from the Eagle Ford Shale, uh, from the Permian uh, Basin, uh, in terms of uh, the infrastructure that we needed, the technology that we needed, uh, the skilled labor that we needed, uh, and the impact it would have on the communities, especially our roads. Uh, for example, here in Texas, quite frankly, uh, we were not prepared. Uh, for the activity uh, that came out of uh, Eagle Ford Shell. Uh, We didn't have the roads in place. Uh, They were not built and constructed for heavy uh, trucks, heavy equipment. Uh, The community didn't have the housing necessary. Uh, We didn't have the support services. So we learned a lot from that aspect. Uh, For us, uh, even though there are a lot of challenges in terms of uh, the energy reforms taking place in Mexico, there is tremendous benefit Uh, not only for Mexico's economy, but for us here in Texas. Uh, We anticipate uh, to help and be uh, supportive of Mexico's energy reform. Uh, And that Texas has the technology, uh, we have the experience, and I would tell you, the skilled labor part, uh, there's a shortage here in Texas. uh, So that will be a challenge. Uh, And then we anticipate that some of our equipment here in Texas will be transported to Mexico uh, for the Burgos uh, Basin, uh, where we anticipate it will be just as productive, and not more than our Eagle Ford shell here in South Texas. But the challenges are tremendous. Uh, not only do we have to maybe transport some of our bulldozers heavy have equipment uh, to Mexico, uh, the roads, have to cross the bridges, uh, but Mexico, yet yeah, doesn't have the infrastructure in place. Uh, the transportation system, to be able to move all the equipment to the drilling sites, Uh, plus the skilled labor. Uh, How do we create and educate more of our labor force so they can uh, do the work? You factor all that in, uh, and then the housing, uh, the support services. And one key issue is security. Uh, uh, We heard testimony yesterday uh, before my committee uh, that a lot of the businesses are concerned about security. Uh, so that's an aspect that we cannot ignore. Uh, so, for us uh, here in Texas, uh, we see this as a great opportunity. A lot of challenges, but when there are challenges, there are also opportunities. Uh, and Texas has always uh, been able to be one of the key oil and gas producing states in the nation. Uh, our economy is very strong because of the oil and gas energy sector. So, we anticipate. Uh, that we'll will be, will be using some of our resources, using some of our expertise, some of our, some of our technology and know-how uh, to help Mexico develop their oil and gas resources. Uh, as we speak, uh, I know that uh, here in Texas, we're taking the lead in laying pipe uh, for to transport natural gas into Mexico. or uh, We're building up the infrastructure. Now keep in mind that we're not the only players uh, we know, for example, in the Gulf of Mexico, the deep water drilling uh, technology that is needed. You have China uh, out there already uh, communicating with Mexico. Uh, so for us, we need to be proactive. Uh, we need to find ways to deal with the challenges. Uh, the benefits that will come about and the benefits of our economy and Mexico economy will derive from the Burgos oil basin, uh, is just too much to ignore. Uh, and this will really change uh, the economy in Mexico in terms of the free market uh, approach that they are not taking uh, in terms of the changes that are taking place. It's a very, very, very exciting time in Mexico. Uh, for us, we need to be continue to develop our relationship with Mexico in a positive way so that both sides of the border can benefit. Uh, I know that Mexico is moving very rapidly and implementing the changes changes, uh, and to institutionalize the regulatory institutions. Uh, and it's very important, as you well know, uh, to create stability, uh, predictability, uh, and make sure that uh, we have a system uh, that thinks in terms of how do we make decisions based on economics? How do we make decisions based on, quite frankly, profit? Uh, so we can create jobs uh, and better uh, the standard of living uh, for citizens from Mexico, but also uh, create more jobs for us here,
0: not only South Texas but our whole state. Uh, thank you, Senator. I, I want the audience to know two things that that uh, Javier mentioned and now the senator really underscore, and that is that the benefit of Mexico's energy reform to the economic growth of Mexico, and the benefit. That, that economic growth in Mexico will have to Texas, uh, both politically and economic. So I, I, I want you guys, when, when we come back, uh, to, to think about that because both of them brought it up. And that, that sets me up also uh, for the Ambassador uh, that I would like for him also uh, not only to get your views, Mr. Ambassador, on, on, on the overall energy reform in Mexico, uh, but in those issues that the growth of energy in Mexico, the, the increase in production, creation of employment, how do you see that impacting our relationships from a geopolitical point of view?
4: Well, first, first of all, let, let, me, let me try to uh, 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 kind of re- make my comments somewhat responsive in reacting to what both Javier and Juan said. Anybody who's ever gone third in a panel know that they were going through their remarks. I was going, well, check, you can't say that. (laughs) that. that. Uh, And and anybody that has ever sat next to two people that are actively engaged in the day-to-day of of drafting and implementing policy knows that they're much closer to the situation than I would be at this point. And I think in in, in terms of what uh, Javier said, we have heard the word transformational about energy reform with respect to what Mexico's done so many times. (laughs) that I think we forget what that word really means. I mean, what they have done over the course of the last year in terms of reform in Mexico is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I have now lived in Mexico 12 years, have been a follower of US and Texas politics for 25. Uh, and if you think about the, the, the commitment and the vision of, an, of a government that could re- reform fiscal, education, uh, uh, labor, energy, over the course of a year uh, that, that That is profound. Uh, that would be somewhat like doing Medicare, Social Security, debt, deficit over a year, uh, and, and then saying, you know, that, that was a good year. And So I, I think we really have to start to appreciate what, what they've done down there. With that said, you know, from the standpoint of, of the border, and uh, Chewy and I are actually some, from the same part of the world, and I served as a county judge uh, 25, 25, 6, 7, 8, 9 years ago, a long, long time ago. <laughs> Uh, in the wake of NAFTA, and we saw the, 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 the potential that NAFTA had, but I think as a state, we were always playing catch up in terms of building capacity and infrastructure and these things, uh, these things that were our attendant to growth. So I guess I want to try to make three comments somewhat unrelated to each other and then move on to the next speaker and, and see, what, see how they react to them. But one is the macro one. One is, I think from the standpoint of U.S. and Texas policymakers, we have to update our sense of who our neighbor is. Uh, I think our frame of mind still tends to be a slow, slow growth, barely emerging economy, exporting people, unable to create a sufficient opportunity. I think we have to update that to the 10th largest economy in the world, very dynamic, committed to reform, uh, on the, on the uh, on, I think, on the brink of 3.5% to 5% growth annually, $25 billion of foreign direct investment, uh, the ability to position us strategically on energy and in the context of the larger trade agreements, NAFTA aligning itself with the uh, Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership and the transatlantic stuff. I think we just have to take a step back, update our view of who our neighbor is and think strategically how we can position ourselves both as a country but in particular here as a state. Because when you think strategically, and you also appreciate what Texas is in terms of the motor and the overall U.S. economy, you start to think, well, we're in a pretty good place here in Texas. Uh, And if they continue to do the kinds of things that have gone on in Mexico, we're going to be in a great place as long as we are strategic and smart about what government should and shouldn't be doing. And so I think updating our view of, uh, of who our neighbor is and the potential of that neighbor. Conversely, what I've seen in Mexico, and I think this is a, this is a giant leap for in a relatively short period of time, Mexicans have become very sophisticated consumers of American politics. <laughs> uh, ten years ago, if a congressman had jumped up or down and said something horrible, it would be the top, you know, over the fold, above the fold, as they say in the news. You know, Tom Tancredo used to drive me crazy because he'd say something in Denver and uh, they'd be reacting in Mexico and I'd be saying, that's one member out of a 453 member of Congress. Slow oh, down. And so they've become much more sophisticated consumers of our politics in terms of the public arena where, where, where public officials have to, have to operate. And so I think that's good. So those would be the macro comments. I guess in terms of the private sector, uh, and this is going to be more my, my uh, reveal my sort of, my, my frame of mind philosophically. I think government functions best when it does, when it simply gets out of the way. Okay? And I think in many respects what you have in terms of reform, the, the obstacles to a better convergence between the United States and Mexico have historically been the flow of capital south, and I think these, this reform initiative is about making Mexico more competitive and allowing for freer uh, investment in sectors like energy and the movement of human capital north, immigration reform, which I think is something that, that we need to do. In order to have a stronger NAFTA partnership, each of us had to do things within our countries that made us stronger partners. And I think that is really what the, what the uh, initiative res- with respect to reform had been, removing the obstacles to allowing the private sector to do what they do best. Now, with that said, I think you, you have an environment now where the two questions I get mo- asked most often about uh, the energy reform, uh, quite apart from the details and you know, what, what does this mean, are corruption and security. And I think we all have to, we all have to recognize those are, those are the issues. And I'll tell you, my response <clears throat> to corruption is the government itself would, would tell you that they have a long ways to go with respect to rule of law and building a, a rule of law culture. But with respect to energy and the reform, what I have seen is a commitment to both timetables in terms of the, uh, of, the, of the legislation and implementation. I have seen a commitment to transparency. I have seen a, a commitment to competitiveness. And I, don't th- I, I think it's largely because the stakes are so, so high. And unlike years past, there are more eyes on Mexico as they have become more integrated through trade agreements, more accountable in government by virtue of the role of the media, more responsible to a broadening middle class, mm-hmm. all these things that create eyes on the process in an area that, has, uh, as we all know, was, has, has been somewhat controversial to open it up to private sector investment at all. So I think with respect to the transparency, I think you're going to have a very competitive environment and one that adheres more to the rule of law than perhaps other environments uh, traditionally have. And the, and the country remains very committed to change. The second one with respect to security, if you look at the implementation and the legislation, I think initially there's going to be a lot of, uh, whether it's in the uh, mature fields or offshore, there's gonna be a lot of partnerships with PEMEX. Uh, and if you look at the, our oil and gas, or our, the energy sector in general, it's a very entrepreneurial class that knows how to factor in risk, knows how to uh, provide adequate security for their uh, for their people. And I think working alongside PEMEX, uh, to the extent that you look at comparable markets, in many respects, Mexico uh, is as secure or more secure than comparable markets that have opened up uh, to this type of investment. And I guess the, 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 uh, the last point uh, that I would make with respect to the, what, the public sector, a variation on uh, removing the obstacles, there are two things that I think uh, both, both governments need to do well. And it's infrastructure. Uh, creating incentives to putting that infrastructure in place uh, whether it's things as tangible as working with investors on the easement and the right of way attendant to pipeline and, and putting that sort of thing in place or less tangible but every bit as important as the transparency and the rule of law initiatives that are, that are important. I think I think those are the couple things that, that, that with respect to that infrastructure and a regulatory environment that uh, provides for kind of clear and consistent rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things I think government should be doing. Where I think I think the challenge oftentimes is, and this is again will reveal well actually all of our biases. Mm-hmm. Uh, Javier is from the uh, northeastern part of the country. Chui mm-hmm. and I are from the uh, from the border. Is provide more mechanisms. The kind of things, Saul, that you've been doing for 20 years. More mechanisms along the border for cooperation and coordination of these sorts of initiatives. Because to tell you the truth, too often it is, it is very hard to get the attention of D.C. and the D.F. Mm-hmm. And more mechanisms that allow for a little more latitude upon, along coordination on the infrastructure uh, infrastructure front uh, along the
0: border. So I, I think that's where, that's where I'll try to leave it. Um, well, I'm not going to leave it there because I'm going to follow it up. Uh, with Maracay on, a, on, on, on the same issue of cooperation and, and capacity building. Um, yesterday at, at, at the senator's hearing, we were hearing that uh, Mexico is going to have a 20% content rule, 20, 25% right, content percent, rule 25. Percent in, in, in some areas, mm-hmm. uh, which is good news because it allows partnership of U.S. companies with Mexican companies uh, to transfer knowledge, to transfer expertise, uh, and to really to create new joint ventures and so on. Um, uh, Ambassador Garza also brought up uh, the issue of, of the regulatory agencies. Um, and, and one of the issues that Mexico is going to face uh, is the capacity of the regulators. And, and again, it's, it's nothing new to Mexico. Colombia went through it when they created an nation. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the commissioners of the regulatory agencies, but the regulators in the field. Uh, and we in Texas, particularly with the Texas Railroad Commission, mm-hmm. is over 100 years of experience. Right. Um, give me your comment again. How do you see Mexico uh, energy reform impacting Texas? And and how do you see the cooperation of Texas filling that gap, both in the infrastructure area, Good. but also in the capacity building with the regulators?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. You know, I, I've, I've been approaching this Mexican energy reform uh, Kind of you know similar to uh, Ambassador Garza, and of course I have the unenviable position of following him, which is uh, not ideal because he's so great. Um, but you know, the, the macro from a macro perspective, I think the Mexican energy reform is very exciting. as everybody? I mean, I, I in total agreement here. And again, I don't want to repeat everything they've said, but if you think about the impact this energy reform can have, not just on Texas, but you think from a from a nation standpoint or from a continent standpoint. When we as North America, given everything that's going on in the United States right now with just increased production in Texas and Pennsylvania and Ohio, the Bakken, um, it's very, very exciting. And then you, you factor in Canada to that and, and a lot of what's going on there. And then now Mexico, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty telling, I think, when you see all this uh, conflict and strife in Israel or Iraq or the Middle East and prices have stayed relatively stable. Um, I think that's a testament to what's going on in the United States. And when you can add Mexico to the mix with increased production, now, granted, they um, produce a lot of oil and natural gas as it is, but if you can get that from you know, anywhere from 2.5 million barrels per day, which I think it is now, roughly, to around 4 in the next couple of decades, um, I think that really adds to the strength of North America globally in the energy sector, and I think that's very exciting. It allows us to make better foreign policy decisions as a continent, but also among all the countries. Um, it, it really helps us with national security. And I think it helps with an economic growth. And so I think that's all very, very exciting. Um, approaching this Mexican energy reform um, kind of on a more micro level, I do so as, as more of an investor. And we have an oil and gas investment firm. And we've been really paying close attention to this Mexican energy reform. and trying to figure out where the opportunity is and how we can play a role and what's interesting to me is uh, to see how this is going to be out now from a philosophical and policy standpoint I think they're doing an, an amazing job what's what's going to be really interesting to track over the next several years going through or the next several months and a couple of years is the implementation of this from a regulatory standpoint um, they've moved the hydrocarbon commission out of the, sec- or the energy ministry of energy um, to be an independent agency that regulates oil and gas industry, much like the Texas Railroad Commission does. Now, Ambassador Garza has been on the Railroad Commission and has done a f- fantastic job. And so, again, as, as with anything, I think he's more qualified to speak to this than I am. But um, the Texas Railroad Commission does a, uh, One of the reasons why the Texas energy industry right now is, is doing so well is because we have a regulatory environment it's, that allows for continued growth, It allows for continued production, okay. but does so in a way that um, takes into account It's people and safety and protection, environmental protection, um, safety protection. so I think to really build that out in Mexico is going to be very important from an investment standpoint because it's very difficult to risk capital if you're not entirely sure of the environment in which you're risking it. Um, So the regulatory component, I think, is going to be very important. And then just from a practical standpoint, what is this going to look like from an investment standpoint? You know, I personally and we personally think at our firm that a lot of the near-term opportunity for the investment dollar is going to be with partnerships Mm -hmm. with Pemex. Mm -hmm. Um, And their now increased capability to partner with private institutions and to expend that money in a way that allows them to uh, learn more. You know, they've got, Pemex has been granted in this round zero a lot of mature fields that production has been on the steady decline. Well, there are certain techniques in, that we're implementing in Texas and all over the country that allow for re-stimulation of the field, secondary and tertiary recovery, you know, techniques that Mexico, that te- Pemex rather, may not be um, experts on that can actually re-stimulate a lot of this production. Uh, and so I think that may be the near-term opportunity. But then if you think kind of longer-term and shale development, there are a lot of issues that I think we're going to have to watch play out. You know, it's, it's the risk and security, I think, in the northern part of the country is going to be very important. Um, right-of-way issues, both in terms of EMP, and p so uh, exploration and production, but also midstream and, and uh, infrastructure, I think, is going to be important with the ejidos. And, and how do you work with uh, a lot of these landowners and assure them that you're you know, you're going to treat them fairly, but then also aren't necessarily taken advantage of in, in, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so, I think to risk significant amounts of capital, there's going to have to be a lot play out over the course of the next several months. But all that to say, I, I do think that from an investment standpoint, we and, and, and Texas and investors we've spoken with are very very excited about um, both the near term and the mid term and long term future of that partnership.
0: Uh, we had some folks from Australia here on campus the uh, day before yesterday, and, and Australia is one of those countries that have quite a bit of, of, of shale uh, potential. Uh, and they were asking the question, how come everything in Texas is it's, uh, the production of shale? And it's not only because of geology. It's because we had the infrastructure. It's because we had the capacity from a regulating point of view. Uh, and that's why not only uh, Mexico is working closely with Texas, uh, but like I said, folks from Australia are coming here uh, to learn, again, not from the geology point of view, but also from the process and, and, and regulatory point of view where we're getting at. Um, uh, Luis is What I'm going to ask Luis is, again, to share uh, your views of, of the impact that Mexican reform can have uh, not only on Mexico but also on the U.S. Uh, but Luis, as a representative of CIMEX, which is one of the world's largest Cement manufacturers and producers in the world. I think you're number two, three. three. Well, I raised, I just gave you a bump there to number two. Uh, but but how how does energy reform impact the competitiveness of of Mexico? Uh, particularly, by the way, not only in lower price of electricity, uh, but also in in natural gas, because Mexico now is going to have a much greater uh, access uh, to Henry Hub priced natural gas. So. Industries like steel, glass, uh, heavy manufacturing that is he- very dependent on energy um, is going to certainly have a competitive advantage. Can you give us your view from that side of the fence, Luis?
5: Thank you, Jorge. I, I, I was hoping to be the last speaker, so I can just say I agree with
0: everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's, David, that's David's role. <laughs> <You're stealing> <laughs> my... <laughs>
5: Anyhow, uh, thank you very much for uh, having me here. I... Um, I, I think that, uh, speaking for the private sector, not just for CEMEX, since I serve in some committees uh, of the private chambers in Mexico, uh, we were very pleasantly surprised uh, at uh, how this reform turned out. Uh, we, we did not expect such a reform of such a scale and such breadth. Uh, we think that uh, the, the Mexican state left itself with a lot of uh, tools uh, in the kit to be able to capture uh, the, the, the reserves of uh, oil and natural gas uh, for the future and capture a, a reasonable rent. So I think that uh, from that point of view, uh, we were very, very surprised, pleasantly surprised and, and really congratulate the government and every, uh, everybody that worked on it. Uh, I'd like to, however, say that uh, in particularly we were even more surprised at the electricity reform. I call that uh, kind of the silent reform because uh, when, when, when people are talking about uh, energy reform in Mexico, they talk about oil and gas. Mm-hmm. But electricity reform is far more uh, revolutionary than, than the oil and gas reform in my view, it will transform the way in which Mexicans buy electricity, especially small and medium enterprises, mm-hmm. which currently cannot have, don't have access to, to the type of prices that uh, large, large industries have. Uh, so from the point of view of competitivity, the electricity reform is the one that's going to create competitivity for the small and medium enterprises. Uh, when you look at it, the problem with uh, energy prices in Mexico is not uh, gas and oil uh, driven because uh, gas and oil are priced in Mexico uh, on a hope basis since three decades ago. It was not a problem of price. It was a problem of availability. We did not have uh, enough resources. Um, with this current uh, frame of mind in the present government, we are bidding all these pipelines into Mexico, huge capacity going down south. We're going to be consumers, probably, of uh, Texas gas. Uh, We we might be able to increase uh, by 20% uh, the demand of gas from current uh, uh, production status in Texas in the near five to ten years. Uh, We're building the pipelines. Uh, Mexico is building the pipelines. So Mexicans are going to pay for these pipelines. It's interesting thought that uh, Texas gas is going to flow into Mexico to be consumed mainly to generate electricity. But oddly enough, there is no Texan capital flowing to generate this electricity and capture the last last bit of the chain, of the value chain. Mm -hmm. We think that um, there's a lot of merit for uh, the power uh, industry in Texas to integrate itself into Mexico. We believe that um, there is a a lot of uh, merit in connecting Texas and Mexico more. As you know, Texas is a bit of an island electrically. Uh, So we think uh, we should think of ways in which we can interconnect Mexico and Texas and help each other that way. Um, We would welcome capital flowing down south. Uh, I think that you need Mexican partners, obviously, because... uh, I wouldn't want to see what happens if a Texan goes to negotiate right away with an ajido. <laughs> with Hidalgo owners in Mexico. However, people like us, we've been dealing with ajidos for 100 years or so. So we uh, we welcome this opportunity to to work together with uh, investors from Texas in Mexico.
0: Thank you, Luis. Another subject which we haven't touched based on, and maybe we can come back to it on the roundtable discussion, and that is renewables. Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as solar is concerned and wind, mm-hmm. uh, that's also, I believe, the government has a goal of, of also of increasing, the, of increasing that. Of mm-hmm. uh, And here in Austin, talk about the technology mm-hmm. and the expertise right. that we have here in tech in Texas and in Austin. Uh, I think that's another area that we need to come back and somehow that's pick right. up and at, at least uh, raise issue. Uh, David, uh, I'm going to ask you the same thing, your views on energy reform. Uh, Malakai brought something up that I just also wanted to highlight. Today the U.S. is importing about 9.5 million barrels a day of oil. Um, uh, 50% of that, by the way. 50% of U.S. imports of oil today come from the Western Hemisphere. Only 22% come from the Persian Gulf. Uh, and even if you take Canada out of that equation, About 32% of U.S. imports come from Latin America, South America, Mexico, Venezuela, and so on. Um, How do you see, uh, David, again, from a geopolitical point of view, uh, energy impacting our relationships uh, with Mexico uh, and Canada in in this NAFTA energy that we're talking about? But again, your views on the energy reform and how can that impact Texas and the U.S.?
6: I take it I'm not going to get away with saying I agree with everybody. (laughs) Well, obviously, I'm very excited about this development. Uh, My wife is from Zacatecas, Mexico, and Mexico has always been very dear to our heart, Uh, not only a good neighbor, but I'm a businessman. I've been an entrepreneur all my life, and I also trade uh, financials and international currencies, so what happens around the world is very important to me. And I want to give you, rather than technicals, I want to tell you how it affects each and every one of you, including every American, not to mention uh, Texas, that's at the heart of this endeavor. Today, the world is is a global economy. Products and services, labor and raw material, flows freely from country to country. And every country wants a competitive edge, how cheap they can get labor and how cheap they can get raw material. And we have been very competitive in this endeavor. That's why we lost, uh, one of the reasons we lost 50 million manufacturing jobs overseas. And energy is a component of every product and service that you can produce. So when you get cheaper energy, cheaper electricity, cheaper cars, then you can produce product and services that you can export at a big advantage over your competitors. So for the last 10-15 years, we have been producing increasing numbers of uh, energy initiatives, and we are becoming a large producer of oil and gas. In fact, we are outpacing Saudi Arabia in the production of oil and gas. And that is part of why our economy haven't collapsed uh, when you lose so many manufacturing jobs. And we have many adversaries around the world who survive on selling oil and gas, including Russia. So becoming energy independent is extremely important, not only to our security, but to our economy. Having cheaper gasoline is important to our working families to travel. I would like to see our country independent, I would like, uh, energy independent, I would like to see our economy export energy, oil and gas around the world, but imagine in the middle of this, we get an opportunity to partner with our neighbor with vast resources of oil and gas, and we have so many uh, things in common, people, culture. The trade with Mexico already produced half a million jobs in Texas alone. Imagine what this vast development of oil and gas, that they are giving us an opportunity to be partner in it. What it will do to Texas in our country. What it will do to securing the flow of energy, regardless of how many wars go on around the world, regardless of what country is invaded. Regardless of which pipeline overseas or refineries being blown up, we will have a steady flow of energy for our economy. In Texas, we have the best knowledge in terms of universities, in terms of independent companies that are expert in horizontal drilling. We have the best offshore uh, expertise with majors uh, companies like Exxon and uh, uh, Chevron. We have the best maintenance companies, including Halliburton and the likes. So we are primed to be a big participating uh, uh, partner with Mexico. And this will give Mexico a big economic boom, so the middle class will prosper, they will get wealth, they will buy products from us, which they already are, and we will benefit for it in terms of jobs that's created by this uh, economic boom. And more importantly, we'll have access to energy that is cheaper, which means our products and services are cheaper. We'll be able to compete in the world economy much better. China has to pay big tankers to cross across the Pacific. We used to have to, and still do, have to pay for oil and gas to be transported across the Atlantic, which adds to the cost of energy and make you less competitive. Here we have a chance to have a partner with Mexico where the transport will be cheap and we will have access to uh, that energy with better competitiveness than other countries. But imagine when both countries increase their wealth and their middle class, what will that happen to immigration? What will happen to uh, the change in mindset that we have towards the Latino community, towards our partner in Mexico? What will happen when we become more uh, interdependent on each other with that kind of partnerships, and we can have the renaissance that everybody around the world is talking about that the United States will have a renaissance that comes from the oil and gas so I'm very excited economically how this opportunity which is historic will uh, mean to us and how it affects each and every one of us in having cheaper energy and be able to be competitive around the world So this is uh, something that will affect Texas probably more than any other state uh, in the country because this is uh, the closest point to Mexico. This is where uh, the transport will be the cheapest, and this is where we have all the companies that are ready to participate with uh, great uh, expertise and great financial resources to invest in this because they are offering not only to partner with PEMEX down the road they 're offering our uh, companies to actually bid on their own to explore, produce and distribute and refine at every level of the energy industry in mexico so uh, geopolitically, this is extremely important for our security and our economy, and it's extremely important to our partnership with mexico extremely important. Uh, to the flow of labor and the immigration issues wouldn't be nice if a family got uh, a raise for both dad and mom (laughs) then the family is prosperous so uh, in this case look at this as a total different kind of economy added to uh, our country an economy that we have never experienced before and it only comes because we we are already becoming a big developer of energy, and we're partnering with our neighbor that has vast resources of this energy. So that's a big opportunity for us.
0: Well, talk about a setup. I actually didn't have <clears throat> David line up at the end so that he could summon <laughs> uh, and give us a summary of, of what we have shared uh, here in the last uh, uh, 45 minutes or so. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, by the way, not only on, there was something that David brought up that I just wanted to highlight again. Uh, The U.S. today is the largest exporter of refined products, mostly diesel and gasoline, to Mexico. Mexico has a huge shortfall, about 600,000 barrels a day. One of the reasons that our Texas refineries are running at 91% of capacity, 91% of capacity, is because today the U.S. is a net exporter of refined products. We're exporting about 3 million barrels a day of refined products, primarily diesel and gasoline, out of the Texas Gulf Coast refiners to the rest of the world. Half of that is going to Latin America, and about 600,000 barrels a day of that is going to Mexico. Uh, so this scenario that David has shared with us, uh, that Luis talked about electricity and gas, uh, and, and hopefully renewables, is really across the whole board. Uh, what I would like to do is is, is really open for the next five minutes or so before we go to the audience, uh, just a little bit of conversation among the six of you. Anything that, that anybody brought up that somebody wants to, to add or, or, or subtract uh, from it? Javier?
3: Well, yeah. It uh,
2: seems to me that uh, what we are facing today is uh, a new challenge, a new opportunity for a new type of thinking, a regional thinking in North America. So, uh, when we were, I remember negotiating NAFTA, I was mentioning about the skepticism in the world and in the region about the future of uh, North America. But it was a very courageous uh, vision and, and the idea that really transformed our region. Well, today we're confronting a similar moment, a very important geopolitical change. Back, if you remember, '89, it was the end of the of the Cold War, and everyone was looking into Eastern Europe. nobody was looking into uh, this part of the world and suddenly, NAFTA transformed the way we were thinking and, and really uh, framing the idea of North America. Well today we have behind, I mean we have in front of us uh, this new opportunity of thinking and rethinking again about what is the future of North America. Well we see some experiments in Europe now that uh, I mean uh, regions uh, or provinces like Scotland are trying to To become independent, or what is happening in Catalonia and other places. Well, here in North America, we have the opportunity to think about uh, what is the new vision for North America for the following years, how we're going to confront as a region in terms of competitiveness what is happening in Europe and the Pacific. And it seems to me that that energy is going to be the most important element that will bring the North American region together. Uh, When we started negotiating NAFTA, and Tony remembers that very well. we agreed to, to disagree in some elements, which was uh, we were not going to consider, on the one side, labor mobility into NAFTA, and we were not going to consider energy issues into NAFTA. Well, now is the time to consider both. Now is the time to rethink labor mobility migration, but it is the time to consider also energy as the important elements for uh, rethinking the, the big idea uh, of North America into the future
3: senators? I mean, I I guess for us uh, here in Texas uh, as a state, uh, we'll we'll benefit, our refiners will benefit, our jobs will increase. Uh, We need to be more proactive and reach out to Mexico uh, and share our experience with them. I know when uh, uh, Madam Chair Craddock testified before the committee yesterday, she talked about Mexican officials coming to talk and meet and discuss how the railroad commission regulated uh, the um, shell oil uh, fracking that's taking place here in Texas. Uh, and we need to also depoliticize uh, border security uh, and, and immigration. Uh, anytime we talk about immigration, uh, you cannot talk about public policy or immigration based on merit. Uh, everybody polit- politicizes that issue. And for us it's important that we take a proactive, positive approach in offering solutions uh, and uh get more business involved uh get the state more proactive and step back uh from politicizing uh every single issue uh
0: that uh impacts our border area okay. ambassador you want before we go to the public you have
4: uh... i will defer to the public awesome <laughs> fantastic
0: <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. And I'll
5: never be as the whole, i will never been bad on the reality again but i will defer uh, to the public. uh luis I just want to make a comment that uh, perhaps we overlooked. Uh, This reform that uh, took place, especially the electricity reform, contains a standard for clean energy. You you touched on renewables. So this reform has a a mandate to have a certain percentage of of the mix, uh, of the energy mix, uh, clean energy. So I think that there's a lot of connection there between Texas and Mexico too, because Texas has uh, learned to live with the intermittency of wind. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that can be flowed
0: south. I think uh, that's an area. Yeah, I think that's
1: very that's, important. And I, you know, there's yeah. a lot of uh, cross kind of education and experience that I yeah. think. Yeah. Can uh-huh. help. Okay. the guy that so, lost
4: so, the yes. election. He said, "I um, defer to the public. all
0: right." Um, <laughs> Questions from the audience, we'll go here and then we'll go here. If you can be quick with your question, then we'll try to give you an answer.
7: Yeah, Great. I'll try to be quick. My name is Eva Hersha. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I was living in Mexico all of last year working as a journalist. I recently returned to Texas. And I was there when these constitutional amendments were happening and the secondary laws were being proposed. And I I would agree with a lot that's been said on this panel. I I would agree that that it was transformational and that the PRI did did kind of an unprecedented job of bringing together parties that, that are largely protective of Mexican oil traditionally. I would also agree that it was a huge technological and investment opportunity and that it will better allow Mexico to to extract and take advantage of its natural resources. And I think it also makes sense that all of you, uh, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of business interests expressed here, are also excited and agree with one another about about these reforms. Um, So you made, a number of you have made the comparison to NAFTA, so I'm going to go with it. And... I, I do think that, that 20 years after NAFTA, if we're going to compare an energy NAFTA to the original NAFTA, there has not been consensus that NAFTA has helped distribute wealth, distribute wealth in Mexico. In fact, inequality has increased... And it hasn't lifted millions of Mexicans out of poverty, which was a promise, right? So um, I, I guess I'm wondering. Part of the fears in Mexico, I don't think that they were trying to isolate themselves from the world. I think it was a fear that this reform would be more of the same. That this NAFTA would mean opportunities for businessmen. And how how can we how can we do this better? I guess. What would you say to those people? Sure. Yeah.
0: Javier, you want
7: to? Yeah, I want want, want to.
2: No, no, thank you. Thank you for for the question very much. Um, I want to make a couple of points. I mean, for a government to think strategically has to ask three questions. One, what to do well. Two, what to guard against. Three, what is my strategic weapon, right? Well, this government and the administration of President Peña, and also the people who are working in Congress and his own party. Uh, We knew that what we have to do well are five things. That's very important. One, has to do to return security, safety for the families of Mexico. This is a very important objective. Two, that we have to alleviate extreme poverty in Mexico. I agree with you. We have, I mean, uh, society very unequal, and, and so we have to bring opportunities for the millions of people who are, uh, are not having there. Three is quality education. Very important that we really invest in quality education in Mexico. Four is we do everything that is in our hands to recover economic growth, which is important. And this reform has to do with that. And the reforms that Tony was mentioning, they have to do with uh, recovering I mean, the possibility of economic growth in Mexico. And the fifth objective has to do how to return Mexico's uh, international role, prestige, and, and really global responsibility. It is important. Those are the five objectives that we have to do well in the series of reforms that we were passing I mean, in Congress in the last 24 months. They have to do really with improving this because I agree with you. We have not done our homework very well in mean, the last years, and we have to, to move uh, quickly. So second question, what to guard against? And we had to guard against paralysis we had 12 years of not getting any political consensus to move the country ahead. So we're not able, I mean, for 12 years, really, to get the agreements, political agreements, in such a way that we could. Now, I mean, we are really moving the country with these reforms, which is a good news. It's very different from what happened before. And third, what was our strategic weapon? It was uh, an instrument called the Pact for Mexico, we were able just to sit at the table with the administration and the three major political parties and say, I mean, look, these are the objectives, this is the timetable, these are the really um, uh, deadlines and how we're going to proceed. So we were able just to negotiate all the political forces from the left and the right and the center in such a way that we were able to deliver in 24 months a series of very important historic transformational reforms. Education, labor, banking, Fiscal reform, telecommunications, competition, energy reform. And all of these reforms, they have to do with these five objectives. We have to go and work on that because we do, yeah, we, we, we really need to, to, to move ahead and uh, to do what NAFTA didn't bring. Well, NAFTA was very important, and I was, I mean, always there's a risk of reasoning by analogy. I agree with, with you. Uh, but NAFTA was very important as an engine of economic growth for more North America. If you look at the figures of trade and investment in North America back, I mean, I remember trade between Mexico and the U.S. back in 89 amounted to close to $50 billion, right? And so NAFTA was able just to really transform and to provide a methodology for the and transformation of the, of the relationship in the North. So we have to continue working uh, on, on, uh, on the, in the future in accomplishing the objectives that I mentioned And energy reform is going to be a very important element. It is not the only one, but the important thing is that how we're going to build upon uh, industrial competitiveness and job creation in Mexico. Can I
1: just add one thing real quickly? I think a great uh, kind of experimental example is what's going on in Eagleford right now in Texas. You know, some of the poorest uh, communities in this state have now seen tremendous job growth. Um, The schools are performing better. They've got more money. They're giving kids iPads. They're buying their school supplies. They're uh, allowing families to buy homes, pay off debt. And so if you look at what's going on in this Petri dish of the Eagleford, I think that's something that can be expanded in Mexico. Um, now, it creates certain infrastructure and other problems, but those are problems we, we you know, as bad as it may be to say, those are problems we want to have with economic growth and how to deal with those things. So Let me... May
4: It may be a slightly dissonant note, but it'll be something familiar to Maliki because when he, was, when he was running for office, I said, listen, one of the things that's often troubled me is that, that and this is about the Railroad Commission, is that I think we, we don't appreciate that the role isn't an advocacy for the industry. It's a regulator of the industry, mm-hmm. and that's something that seems to get lost sight of in there and as as a regulator your interest is is as a steward of a larger public interest that includes water that includes soil that includes and if you don't do that responsibly what you get is a pushback from the public that says wait we're all for this but at the same time who who is who is keeping an eye on the longer term interest of of our society or the water. And at the end of the day, people can be very, very supportive of of uh, economic growth and the energy growth, but if you get if you start bumping up against their water, their kids and their schools are gonna mm-hmm. look at you differently. And mm-hmm. that's the role of the regulator. And mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. let me just just, just okay. to finish this thought. By any objective standard I think NAFTA has been good. And it is very popular, this, you know, in the wake of Piketty's book to talk about inequality and disparity, and everybody prefaces their question as though that was gospel. But the truth of the matter is, the role of government is not to try to create wealth, it's to try to create an environment where people risk capital and create opportunity for people. And if government does that, those disparities narrow. If government tries to redistribute and do things that they're not, that they shouldn't be doing, those disparities increase. Because then you get the, the, the role of the oligarch and the impoverished. I mean, democracies, democracies and capitalism do some things very well. And one of those is allocate capital and create opportunity. Let me, let
6: me uh, ask something. I actually agree with you. I'm, I'm sorry to, uh, to, to disagree with some of the panel. I agree with you. I think NAFTA did not produce the kind of benefit for Mexico or for the United States. But there is a reason for that. We, we put a limit on Chinese product that comes to our country, and then we pass NAFTA. Guess what? They built two big seaports on the Pacific, and, and, as, and, and China brought all their product through Mexico as NAFTA to avoid our caps on their trade, and they bring it through Mexico here, and you see Chinese riding on every cord, uh on those railro- uh, uh, railroad uh, transportation that has Chinese product. And that stalled the opportunity from Mexico, from the Mexican families. And that's how a government can produce wealth, but also government can steal wealth. Because governments put these conditions that tell people how they can and cannot do commerce. And when they give advantages to the wrong people, they hurt others. In this case, we created NAFTA to have partnership with Mexico. So they can benefit and we benefit. And NAFTA was cheated on by Chinese product to come. We wanted Mexican people to produce product, Mexican factories to produce product and produce a middle class, help us by buying our product and we produce wealth. But in this case, energy doesn't work that way. China is actually sucking energy from around the world because they've one and a half billion people who need to, to develop. And they're actually increasing the price of energy. They cannot come here and cheat by selling us energy through Mexico. They don't have energy. In fact, by the transporting energy to here, it's going to become more expensive. So this is an opportunity for us to actually produce a product that gives us and Mexico advantage, and no one can compete with that advantage. It is a true thing that will produce wealth for Mexico and produce wealth for us. Okay. And, and
8: will prosper. We... Yes, sir. Uh, I want
0: to jump back. comparison
8: between... Um... Texas and Mexico. And if we use shale plays in Texas as, a, as case studies or as, as models for how we can do things better. So, um, my question is if we use the Eagle Ford Shale or the Barnett Shale as examples to improve our practice in this energy reform, what challenges, what missteps, what issues do you see that have already happened here in Texas? that we can do better in the Mexican energy reform. Um, As an example, um, we were just talking about Texas Railroad Commission and industry. So one thing I want to raise and maybe ask you is, uh, as of 2014, Texas Railroad Commission accounts for one investigator per 2,600 wells. So I'm not sure. Do you think that's a suitable number uh, in terms of regulating... Wells, and um, uh, I guess general question: general question is, um, how do you think we can improve our practice to safeguard water, air, public health?
4: i'll take I'll take a, I'll take a look unless you want
3: to. Go ahead. Uh, Listen, look in <laughs> 19,
4: I left the commission in two thousand two, I guess, and I don't know what the numbers were, but I'll bet you we can have them you know between your fingers and your toes, you can the the number of the permits that were issued in that part of uh, of the state. And now the numbers thousands of the productions way up, and so this sort of thing. And yet, at the same time, I don't think we've kept pace in terms of, not, not just numbers of people, although I'm sure that the, 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 that needs addressing, but just in terms of overall capacity, just technologically in the state. the, the, the Government tends to lag industry. That's just the, na- the nature of it. There's more of a, of, of a, uh, uh, of a reward in the private sector to, to, that, to doing those sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I think that, that the, the commission should and can be doing more and probably needs the resources to doing more, but more importantly is a mindset about what their role is and that they work more closely with the, the, uh, uh, the other regulatory agencies, the ones that do water and air in the state. Unless you start integrating your, your capacity to regulate some of your natural resources, you're going to have them going off on different tracks that, that it is hard to coordinate. Uh, and so I, I guess that would, that would be the response to that. What, what can Mexico learn? They can learn a lot of things. I think one of the things that we have to do pretty quickly is manage the expectation about what's going to go on south of the border. What happened north of the border happened very quickly, but it happened on a platform of 100 years of production in this state. It happened on the platform of an energy infrastructure that was very advanced and very involved. It happened on a rule of law uh, platform. So I think ultimately you're going to see tremendous opportunity and growth in, in, on, the, on the south side of the, uh, of the Eagleford, but I think it's, it's going to be something that rolls out perhaps after the yep. mature fields and the ultra-deep.
3: Yeah. Just very, very briefly, uh, another issue, we talk about the lessons we learned from Eagle Ford Shell, uh, is that while wages went up, uh, it also took away a lot of employees uh, from the local, uh, or some of the surrounding counties, uh, from uh, city employees, county employees, uh, and then the use of water uh, became a big issue. Because fracking uses quite a bit of water, uh, and how do we move forward in in making sure that we do not allow contamination uh, of of water reservoirs? Uh, So the challenges are many. So the lessons we learn Eagle Ford Shell uh, can also be provided and and serve as a guide uh, as we help and work with Mexico to develop the Eagle Ford Shell uh, resources.
1: Yes, sir. I want to pry to Provide a model for a short question. In the light of Keystone, can you discuss challenges and opportunities surrounding trans-border pipelines and transmission lines?
5: Uh,
3: I,
6: um,
5: what was the question? I, I think that uh, trans-border pipelines. Whether Keystone, Keystone has a can set up a, a, st- a negative stage or a positive stage. It, Depending how you look at it, for gas pipelines, I don't think gas pipelines um, have such contentious issues. As the oil pipelines, pipelines, in my view. Let me. Uh, let me uh, 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 a keystone.
6: If you want. To you I know, I, say I understand a a the the Keystone a uh, uh, pipeline has become controversial, but it's not because the Keystone itself, uh, the pipeline has problems. It's more ideological uh, contention, and people misunderstand uh, the whole premise of uh, uh, what. Keystone presents in terms of dangers or benefit. The Keystone uh, infrastructure has already been built. The only thing missing is the main branch that's in the middle and even part of that have already. So it's just been delayed because it became such a big uh, political issue. But the Keystone is an extremely important part of our economy just like everything else. And whenever you have problems with something, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You fix it. Uh, this is uh, something that is coming very very soon and this is something that many people who oppose it and I, I know some of them they are actually invested in the railroad that transport a lot of this oil uh, from Canada to the United States and they will spend all kind of money uh, you know to create a controversy against the Keystone pipeline I think it's a great thing uh, for our country and it will be uh, also uh, something that will make better friendship and more economic competitiveness <coughs> for our building blocks. We're
0: we, going we to get thrown out of here in a minute, uh, g- not because of what we're saying, but just because we're, we're going, <laughs> <laughs> just, just because we're going at it, which is fantastic. I mean, yes, ma'am. Um,
7: well, first of all, I wanted to uh, thank uh, Congressman Cantu, Trevino uh, Cantu, for. Passing and bringing my country back into the 21st century. Thank you very much. But my question is also for you. Uh, right now, Grupo Reforma estimates that about only three Mexicans support the, the reform. Sadly, what is your administration planning on doing to to make Mexicans understand why is this important and why we should support it?
2: I, I mean, the short the short answer is that we have to to provide results, which is important. Uh, the implementation. Is being uh, uh, being carried out very quickly, which is important because now the administration put into effect. I mean, uh, the first steps of the implementation through the different rounds of, uh, I mean, the round zero for PEMEX and the round one line for the participation of other private companies. So the idea is that people could feel the benefits of energy reform soon in terms of lowering uh, gas and electricity uh, tariffs or costs, and that, that that's going to be very important. But what is going to be much more important is how we 're going to increase the competitiveness, industrial competitiveness level in such a way that jobs can be created and people can feel in their pockets i mean the uh, benefits of, of these reforms, so we have to put everything in our hands just to provide and to give all the instruments to the administration in such a way that we can provide results quickly i, I, I,
3: I don 't think mexico 's economy can stay competitive in the global market uh, without making this uh, Reforms of allowing foreign investment to come in, especially focusing on energy, because the energy reforms are very much key to the other reforms taking place
0: sure. in the economic structure that Mexico, Mexico is pushing forward. And, and going back to a comment that Luis made, Luis said that electricity is really... Is, we don't yes, talk about it, but, but, if, but if you look at the price of electricity and the cost of electricity to, to medium and size businesses, that's going to have a huge and economic and impact that's going to be bigger than finding a major I'm oil saying, field. I have
4: reliability
2: yeah. and, and, and low prices. Are
4: important. Yep. So that's, that's, what, very important. that's what people will start to feel immediately. But yeah. just, just yeah. A, a comment on what lined up. You, you had political leadership and real leadership. Because think about it. Against the backdrop of slow growth in the economy, about yeah. less than 2% last year, you had them willing to take on the kind of reform where the beneficiaries would be off well, well into the future and the detractors would be loud and intense immediately. And so I mean, that's the very definition of real reform, that they got out in front of this. But And I want to, I know we're getting close. On, on in terms of, of, the, of the Keystone stuff, one of the things I learned at, at the uh, embassy, and I think it, it should be true in terms of our reports, is unless you're willing to be collaborative on these big issues, you're getting nowhere. Yeah. And, and in order for collaboration to work, you've gotta be sort of data-driven and transparent. You gotta say, this is what we're seeing, this is what the science, and put it out there for everybody. That's the only th- way that these sorts of things, the keystone has become terribly politicized. A last plug for something that I think ultimately, in terms of collaboration with our, with our partners in Mexico, education is going to drive it. Yeah. With this administration, and I know this is going to surprise some of you. I'll say something good about our administration in Washington right now. But they have an initiative, 100,000, Proyecto 1000, just the exchange at the, uh, at the educational, you know, at the university and high school, uh, the STEM initiatives, the partnerships that the University of Texas has with Monterey Tech, those are the things where you start building the capacity for real collaboration. Because unless people ha- start with the same basic understanding of some of the technology or science or basic understanding of each other, you're not going to have the, uh, yeah. the infrastructure for cooperation.
0: And by the way, it's not only UT Austin. I mean, UT El Paso, UT San Antonio. There's a number of universities in Texas that are already working with Mexico, and I think that's fantastic. One more, and before they turn the lights off on us. Yes.
3: Thank you. Gracias. I am Patty Estrada. I'm a journalist. And uh, following her her question, uh, when Mexican citizens, the regular people that that she was talking about, when they are going to see the benefit of this energy reform that's my first question and the other one it's how uh, US uh, oil and energy companies are going to deal with the
6: Mexican oil and energy unions
1: yeah well let Sindicatos. me just say I, I think well, it's, I, I think it's really important to, that from a government standpoint from a PR standpoint to manage expectations and to understand that this isn't something that's going to just all come online over the next year you know i think it's 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 pretty darn amazing that they that they got this reform done over the course of the year but the benefits aren't going to be felt over the course of the next year i mean we all wish they would yeah. but you know the round one period where they're bidding out the private contracts to investors to oil and gas companies isn't going to start until next year and then you there's so much work to be done in these shale formations in the northern part of mexico where you know Pemex operates largely and primarily in the southeastern part of the country, in Tampico and, uh, I mean, not Tampico, uh, Tabasco and uh, Campeche and mm-hmm. off the coast and those places. In the Burgos Basin, there's not been much uh, geological work. There's not been much seismic. There's no infrastructure. So even if they did start drilling wells and they knew it was there, to get that online and actually start selling it to re- then reduce prices and all those sorts of things, it's going to take a while. But it's... it's so it's going to happen, and but, so I think it's very important to manage expectations and to help the Mexican citizens understand that we're, we're going to get there, but it's, it may take some time to kind of realize the entirety of the benefit of this reform.
2: Yeah, and, and we are on the right track of the implementation, and, and, and I agree. I mean, and we have said in the government that it that will take at least a couple of years just to see the uh, specific, I mean, uh, changes and results, I mean, for, for uh, all citizens. By
0: the way, another topic we didn't bring up is the restrictions that the U.S. has on exporting crude oil. Uh, Mexico wants to import sweet crude so they can balance their heavy oil diet. So another one is LNG. I mean, there's a lot of topics that we could have uh, stay here and really have a good sobremesa uh, that would have lasted a couple of more hours. But, uh, <laughs> we can probably fix that, Ambassador, but not, but not on campus, regrettably. But uh, uh, again, I, uh, I think this group has been awesome. How about an applause for, for, for the panel? Uh, and,
3: and thank you for all of you. Thank you.